We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Shelf Dad. I've been a dad for 22 years and I think often about how not to become a Cots dad. What is a Cots dad? Let me explain. My brother Jeff and I loved computers as kids and my dad supported that love as well as he possibly could. He bought us our first Atari 800 computer for Christmas in 1983 the Gemini 10X printer and 850 interface for our birthday in 1984, a 300 BPS Vox modem for Christmas in 1984. He took us to a parking lot in 1987 to buy an Atari ST from Computer Games Plus in Orange County, California, and to buy a 24-pin printer for school in 1988. His efforts fueled our computer dreams, and I never forgot it. In return, when Jeff and I were older with jobs and cash, we tried to return that favor by buying him computers of his own. We loved them so much and wanted to pass that love back to our dad. All through the 90s, we bought him PCs, each more powerful than the last. In 1994, we bought him a 386DX. In 1997, a 486DX266. And in 1999, a Pentium 2. Each time we upgraded his computing power, we seeded the computer with games and apps we thought he would love. Chess programs, word processing, databases, motocross madness, soccer games, etc. When the World Wide Web was just getting some speed behind it, I was sure my dad would catch on quickly. He collected all sorts of things, Civil War artifacts, stamps, etc. He loved tracing his family history and was a fan of conspiracy theories. I figured if he would have just logged on, he would have been in heaven, but he never did. No matter how many times we sat with him to show him how to use the computers, wrote instructions for him, and tried to make it easier and easier for him, the computers sat unused in his room. My dad rarely, if ever, touched them. One day in the early 2000s, I went to visit him, and I saw the latest computer had been completely removed. What happened to the computer, Dad? I asked him. Oh, it was making my room dusty, so I put it in the garage. The answer made no sense at all. 
but I learned from experience not to question him very much. This was just after 9-11, and my dad was a nervous wreck about the world. Most days, he would lay under the covers in his bed, listening to the poisonous voices of talk radio, scaring him into his little corner of the world. There were days he never left his room. The world was suddenly a much smaller and scarier place, and my dad unplugged from it completely. Not too long after, his brain followed, unplugging from his body, wasting away until the day I found him in 2011 completely stiff, sitting up slightly, staring into nothing, the heat of his life draining from him. I had not thought about my dad and computers until very recently. I've been working on a less game-like, more engineering-oriented projects lately, something my dad would have done as a draftsman at Hughes Aircraft. One of the aspects of this new project is a collection of COTS parts to help engineers create new system designs. COTS parts mean common off-the-shelf parts. Most engineering projects these days need to have a good percentage of COTS parts if they're going to be cost-effective. Having a bunch of COTS parts means you don't need to engineer as many specific components for a job, which in turn means the project is less costly to manufacture. COTS parts are commonplace these days, a situation that was helped by computer-based CAD design programs and computerized manufacturing systems. While working on this project, I thought about what my dad did at Hughes Aircraft in the 70s and 80s. He was a draftsman, and he designed all sorts of small parts for military projects. With a degree in fine art from Syracuse University, he sat at a huge draftsman's table and drew things on a daily basis. My dad loved to draw, and even though the things he was drawing were probably not his ideal subjects, he still got to do what he loved every day. Many of the things he drew were connectors and fittings that would attach one huge secret classified black box to another huge secret classified black box. He rarely drew what was inside the huge secret classified black box, or at least if he did, he couldn't tell us about it. When he finished, he would take his drawings down to the basement, where they would be test fabricated by hand, on the spot, by the wizards in the machine shop. He often relayed to us stories about his friends in the machine shop, the stuff they made, the jokes they played on each other. One of those guys even fabricated the frame for my bike that my dad made for me when I was 10 years old. While it didn't sound like a perfect job, it certainly sounded like a great place to make a living with great people to do it with. I recall that sometime in the mid-80s, my dad came home with a computer manual from work. Hughes was trying to train all the draftsmen to use software-based CAD programs, and they asked him to take classes to learn the new technology. He came home often and complained the computer he was using did not have backspace. In fact, he repeated this so often that I now think it was a proxy complaint for everything he hated about his job, or at least how it was changing. Hughes did not want him to draw on paper any longer. Instead, he was becoming a sort of cyborg, augmented with the machine to help him do the job he had always been perfectly capable of doing on his own. He took night classes to try to learn new things and was fairly successful. I still recall how proud he was of himself the day he came home and told us he had made MTS, which meant member of the technical staff. Finally, he could call himself an engineer after working in aerospace for 30 years. However, it didn't last long. He was pushing 60 years old at that point, and it was near the end of his career. In 1990, my dad got the word that his golden handshake had come through, and he was eligible for early retirement. This was during the peace dividend period, after the Berlin Wall fell, but before the uber surveillance of the terror era. By then, he was drafting exclusively on a computer. He had long since stopped sending his designs to the machine shop for fabrication. 
Along with computerized design came computerized testing. That allowed him to test the parts he designed without the need to create a physical version. This meant that the machine shop and the guys in it had become mostly obsolete. However, something else was happening at the same time. The parts and fittings my dad had designed for decades were becoming commonplace. Another offshoot of computer-aided design was standardization. Instead of customizing everything, project managers could find previously built parts to aid development. Just like the guys in the machine shop, my dad's skills were rendered obsolete too replaced by common off-the-shelf software and common off-the-shelf parts. For all intents and purposes, he himself had become common off-the-shelf himself. What once made him special was now easily replicated and replaceable. However, to me, my dad was anything but off the shelf. He grew up in an uber liberal for the people style farm boarding school. His dad was a semi-famous illustrator. He ran track in high school and lied about his age to join the army in World War II. He worked in a coal mine. He studied acting in San Francisco and New York and then appeared in several television shows. He started racing motorcycles in the 1970s. He could fix anything, at least try anyway. He took up soccer at age 50 taught himself to coach his boys, and played until he was 72. He started collecting Civil War artifacts before it was in and out of vogue, and prospected for gold and hidden treasures just to name the things I can recall off the top of my head. He also did not hold anything against his boys. He didn't say so anyway, even if they were so interested in the very same thing that ended his career. Computers. Far from being the stereotypical dad, the one that only exists in movies and TV shows, I suppose, that would get drunk and rail against a world that had in turn turned against him, he was very quiet about it all. He supported my brother and I in every possible way. And my brother and I had some success in the world of technology. But even then, we have known the bitter taste of our specialized skills becoming common and off the shelf. All those web pages we painstakingly crafted by hand in HTML and Perl in the 1990s can now be made with a few mouse clicks in WordPress. All those 2D games we made with Flex and ActionScript 3 with blitting techniques, game loops, state machines, and pixel graphics in the 2000s, now they can be built with drag and drop tools like Unity and GameMaker in 2020 and exported to nearly any platform. The march of technological progress is cruel for those who get ground up in the wheels of its constant forward movement. I learned from my dad's lesson that to stave off the inevitability of becoming a COTS part yourself, you must be forever in the mode of learning and moving, or at the very least, know when to jump out of the way. But while my dad was alive, he never saw any of this. He was able to look past his own experiences and see that the way forward for us was to embrace the future, even if the future had left him behind. However, he simply could not bring himself to enter our world. He had no need for it. He read books and newspapers, used the post office to mail letters, paid for everything in cash, and left the computers we gave him sitting unused in the corner of his room. He never once got online where he could see any of our work. I suppose this was not because he hated technology, but because, like a good father, he passed the future on to his children and found joy in the success he made possible, even if it meant the end of his own.
And maybe that's my lesson in all this. That's how I don't become a common off-the-shelf dad. I need to support my kids' endeavors, even if they trend towards making my own life's work obsolete. Like my dad before me, I need to become the fertile ground that my kids can use to plant their dreams and grow into their future. By supporting them, maybe my legacy becomes their legacy, and in turn, my dad's legacy too. If I can do that, then I can prove to myself once and for all that while my dad's skills might have been made cots by progress, he was never a common off-the-shelf dad at all. Not by a long shot. And maybe I won't become one too. Calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.